My next guest, uh, you know her, Gloria J. Brown Marshall. She's a professor of constitutional law at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She teaches classes in constitutional law, race and law, evidence, and gender and justice. She is a civil rights attorney who's litigated cases for the Southern Poverty Law Center in Alabama community legal services in Philadelphia and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Right now, she has a new book. She took justice, The Black Women Law and Power. Uh, she's also the author of The Voting Rights War, we're, uh, what we're seeing right now uh, here in America, and the NAACP and the ongoing struggle for justice, just to name a few, and she's also a regular contributor to CNN. Hello, Doctor. I mean, Professor Gloria J. Marshall. It is so good to talk to you. Happy New Year, and congratulations on your new gig at CNN. Well, I don't know if it's a gig, but they call me on enough occasions. They should be paying me, right? That, well, <laughs> I would, I would think so because one of the things that I did notice when I see you on there. Um, oftentimes when you're on a panel, you'll say certain things and it really kind of shakes the others uh, up uh, that are on the panel because you have this unique quality of looking at law and, uh, in a, and, and voting rights and all of this in a different perspective. And it really gives me as a, a viewer and other people that are watching uh, and that are actually on the panel with you something to think about. Um, so you know what? I'm looking at this assault on voting rights. Uh, I had said earlier, one of the most brilliant things that the Republican Party did was take control over all of these um, state legislatures. And at that time when we saw this coming, I said, you know, pretty soon, even though that um, black and brown people and, and other minorities will be the majority in this country, they have set it up for us to live in apartheid state. I was absolutely aghast when I saw what they did in Nashville, Tennessee, the largest, and, and, and Memphis, and throughout Tennessee, where there are large populations of African Americans, black people like you and me, and they divided it up in three different sections, so it's almost impossible with this, with this redistricting for uh, black people, which are about 27% of the population to have somebody represent them in Congress. And and then after SCOTUS, and I want you to respond to all of this, uh, what they said, well, yeah, this might be uh, a problem, uh, you know, uh, with the um, violating the voting rights of black people in Alabama, but we're seven weeks away from an election, and it just wouldn't be practical to... Uh, change the maps and address this uh, by from the SCOTUS's point of view right now. What were you thinking? This is amazing. I, I was like you um, many years ago, saying that the point is to create an apartheid state. 
I've said this many times, and it's only going to get worse because by the time we get to 2045, the U.S. Census has already indicated that this country will be majority people of color. And so as folks sit back and just let things happen, these conservatives who believe in white supremacy, and I don't believe every white person believes that they're superior to everybody else, but it's hard to unbelieve it when everything around you is saying that you should have more than other people and you should be the one dictating how a country or a community should be run. Right. And so, so that's why when I look at the Supreme Court and I see that, you know, Chief Justice Roberts is feeling guilty because he ascended to the U.S. Supreme Court based on the fact that as a lawyer, he had come up with a scheme to gut the Voting Rights Act. That's why they, they wanted him. That's why he was the golden boy of the conservatives going to the Alex meetings and describing how this, the uh, Voting Rights Act preclearance clause could be gutted. And so when he rose up and then wrote the opinion in 2013 in Shelby County versus Holder, it was with such um, insincerity that he's writing as though this is objective when it's the very scheme he had come up with when he was a practicing attorney. So all they're doing now is continuing on the route that they had decided generations ago. And let me just add this one point. Too many liberals, black people, other people of color, you know, these, these politicians on the Democratic side think election to election. Conservatives think generationally. That's right. And until we think generationally, we'll always be playing reaction to what other people are doing to us. And that's, I agree 100% because, you know, like I said, one of the most brilliant strategies was them to take over these different state legislators, uh, late legislatures with the help of Alec. And one day we look up and all of a sudden there are issues. Um, we're going to take a couple of calls and continue our conversation with Dr. Gloria J. Brown Marshall and Steve from the Gold Coast. You're on WVON. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to make a couple of points. Republicans, I think, are, are using this sort of multidimensional strategy in order to manipulate elections going forward. They've been using them for quite a few years, but it's, it's become acute moving forward from 2020 because their strategy is to gerrymander states, as, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. so that they look disproportionately conservative slash Republican uh, in terms of their, uh, their way their districts are drawn. Secondly, then, voter re- uh, suppression and repression laws in order to, to tap down uh, the, the, vote, the voting power of those groups that are not likely to vote for them and are likely to vote for Democrats. And then three, quite simply to say, you know what, if all else fails, we're just going to have people in office who are just going to say, you know what, oh, we won the election. For, forget what the results say. We're just going to declare ourselves the winners. And, and, there, and therein is the sort of three-pronged uh, approach that they're using. Now, yeah, now that's I would brilliant. like to say that... Uh, and, and beyond that, I would like to say that with regard to demographics, it's a little bit misleading in terms of uh, where America is going with regard to majority-minority, because within two generations, most Hispanics intermarry into the larger society. And even without that, that reality, uh, Hispanics in the past have voted up to a third, even 40 percent for Republicans in national elections and local elections. So uh, it's not always the case that simply people of color are de facto uh, Democrats. It's also the case that the Asian vote is very, very much split, and Asians also intermarry within a few generations. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so you, you can go down a long list of why this becomes very, very much confusing, because the notion of what we call white in America... 
Yeah, go ahead, um, Dr. Brown, and then, yeah, I'd like for you to have a dialogue with Steve. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Here's the thing. I didn't say that by the time 2045 that this country will be majority people of color who are Democrats. I said that by the time the country, by the time we reach 2045, the country will be majority people of color. This goes back to white supremacy, which was my point. It doesn't matter to a lot of people whether or not those Asian Americans or Latino Americans or, or Latinx are voting Republican. That's second tier. The first tier is that white people should be the one making the decisions for the country, and that anybody else who could be honorary white if you want to, which is what this country has done. Oh. Yes, because the country, if you read the book, How the Irish Became White, you find out how Jewish people became white, how Italians became white. They weren't considered white when they arrived in this country. They become absorbed into whiteness, and therefore, how do you become, you know, make sure that you're, you're really um, earning your membership too many times is to oppress those people like African Americans or Afro-Latinos uh, or uh, people who are Asian American with darker complexions. So this is about white supremacy, and then within that, how do we use white supremacy to maintain our control? In that theory, it is to use the um, political process, to use the economic process, the social process, the criminal justice process. So they're all part of and parcel of maintaining um, white superiority. And that, and like you said, um, it sounds like you're trying to get canceled, like Whoopi Goldberg. That's maybe that's a different topic. But what you just said is what Whoopi said. This was a crime against the Holocaust. Was a crime against humanity. White people being nasty to the other white people. And isn't she paying the price for that right now? But truth is truth. And we have been talking to, of course, Professor to Professor Brown Marshall. You know, there was a recent article that talked about how more than 40 40 members of the Congressional Black Caucus are urging Attorney General Merrick Garland to be relentless in challenging state laws restricting voting rights. The lawmaker said in a letter that the future of our democracy is at stake, highlighting a spate of GOP-led laws that have disproportionately disenfranchised black voters since the 2020 election. I've got to ask you, um, Dr. Brown Marshall, how would you, what would you grade Merrick Garland? Is he enough of a pit bull, especially on these matters? I think um, he's been a pit bull, but we have a Supreme Court that was packed with conservatives, and I would say they're not all stellar. So when we even talk about the African-American females who could be vetted as nominees for the high court. Um, We have to also look at their credentials of people who were vetted to be loyal to the conservative party, loyal to Donald Trump, and therefore not people who are going to support in many ways voting rights for African-Americans, the criminal justice system's um, ability to be just, in, 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 as opposed to just being a system. I mean, we, Barry Garland probably has his eye on what can actually make it to the court through the appellate system and have a chance of surviving the court as it's constituted right now. Um, in my book, She Took Justice, The Black Woman Law and Power, I speak of, in, and my book, Race, Law, and American Society, both of those books have sections on voting rights. And when you go back 
to the 1800s, we have to think about that. Mm-hmm. When black men gained the right to vote in 1870, we had black um, senators, U.S. senators. We had black um, U.S. Um, Congress people and House representatives. We had over 4,000 black men in office. What happened? The backlash of the Supreme Court of violence and of local laws to undermine black political power. Mm-hmm. So that has always been the case. This is an ongoing system of two steps forward and one step back. And that's why I want anybody who's listening to this, who's in activism, anybody who cares and wants to make a difference, always plan for the backlash because it's always going to be there. If you plan and go, yes, now we've made it, then you're going to get knocked in the jaw because you're not expecting the backlash that has come in this country throughout its history. Just the idea um, when Biden says we're going to, I'm going to select, um, select a black woman to be nominee to be nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. I knew it was coming, and so one of the things that I said um, is that you know Biden he plays his hand, in my opinion, to you know in front of everybody. He just yes. actually shows the opponent the um, you know the, the his his cards. I really do believe that that was a major flaw for him to continue. He said it once when he during the um, when he was running for election that I would nominate a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court wasn't necessary for him to say it again. And and he could have just focused on I would as opposed to I'm I, I'm not going to discount such a thing right. and using that word would in that way instead of I am going to as is, I shall do this and, and there's nothing that's going to stop me and so but you know what when it comes to the conservatives and un- unfortunately not every Republican is a conservative but ev- too many Republicans have given their backbone over to Donald Trump and mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. and so the fact that they are walking lockstep with these people knowing that what they're doing is wrong and they're on the wrong side of history and That's just right. trying to play it out. They're just playing it out to get the most that they can out of it, like being the friend of the bully is better than being the one the bully is beating up. And so, yes, I believe these, these women who have been put forward, as, as, as the list goes now, are highly qualified. They should have been people put forward, some of them, when Barack Obama absolutely to put a black woman forward and Valerie Jarrett and the rest of them refused to do it. And that's when they nominated Merrick Garland. We know the rest is history. So this isn't the first time that uh, the names of black women were put forward to the president of the United States for the nation's highest court. All righty, then. Again, uh, you've got to pick up her books. If you if you don't want to buy them, you can always go to the library. She Took Justice, her latest, The Black Woman Law and Power, The Voting Rights War, The NAACP, and The Ongoing Struggle for Justice, just to name a few. And again, um, Dr. Marshall, I am just so happy to be able to talk to you. You always bring an amazing perspective to what is going on. What's the next big issue we should be looking at um, between now and whatever? What, it's when the um, when the um, Supreme Court comes down with their their final decisions for the season. What what should we be looking at? Any any we should be cases? we should be looking at criminal justice issues. As a matter of fact, qualified immunity yes. and trying to the qualified immunity is when people are trying to get um, 
a civil rights case or trying to get um, damages for injuries that have taken place by law enforcement or other people in government. The standard around what a police officer should be saying when when the police officer says they fear for their life, this is still a part of conjecture. And as we know with the latest case with Amir Locke and so many others, this issue of what law enforcement is able to do, and, and, and please, God rest the souls of those law enforcement um, members who have have their lives yes. taken by civilians. This is not something where we want harm to come to police officers. What we're saying is over a thousand people who are civilians die at the hands of police every single year. And the prosecutors have to play a deeper role. So I think what the prosecutors are doing and what they're not doing has to be something we all ask ourselves. Not just the prosecutor who's elected, but all those government employees who are turning their backs on justice. We need to put the light on them and make sure that not only are they doing their jobs, but when they're not, how can we do something about it? All right, then, Dr. Gloria J. Brown Marshall, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. I wish we had more time. We'll talk more about your different plays and the other uh, things that you're doing in your life. You really are a remarkable woman, and I appreciate you so much.